Welcome to the In the Oil Patch radio show, broadcasting from the SR Trident studio. SR Trident, where safety is a culture, not just a word. In the Oil Patch radio show with Kimball Auto is where you will hear the latest in the oil, gas, and energy industry from a wide variety of industry experts, elected officials, and more, right here on In the Oil Patch radio show. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kimball Otto, along with my co-host, David Blackman. And we have a wonderful show lined up for you today. We will be joined by Amy Cronus, the National Sector Leader for Deloitte's U.S. Oil, Gas, and Chemical Practice and Deloitte's Houston Marketplace Leader. We'll also be joined by Kate Harden, who is the Executive Director for Deloitte's Research Center for Energy and Industrial. They've come out with a new report that's talking specifically about oil and gas, so you don't want to miss this interview. But first, let me tell you about the latest cover of Shell Magazine, Moda Midstream, as we caught up with all three executives that run and own Moda Midstream. We're also doing a very private Moda cover party on July 20th in Corpus Christi. If you would like to attend, please contact Aslan, that's A-S-L-A-N, at shellmag.com to secure your ticket or sponsor the event. Please also put on your calendar, August 12th is our Fogo the Chow in the Woodland Mixer. If you attended our last mixer at this event, it was a sold out crowd. I would tell you, please don't wait to get your tickets. This is a very popular venue in a very popular place. All streams are welcome as it is an all stream mixer. Again, that date is August the 12th. It's the Teak Mixer at Fogo the Chow in the Woodlands. For more information, click on the banner at shellmag.com. And if you have ever attended our State of Energy Corpus Christi, you know that this is a sold-out event with great speakers lined up. Once again, on our sixth annual State of Energy Corpus Christi, we have done it again. We are bringing you the best lineup of speakers and panelists. It's set for August 26th in beautiful Corpus Christi. The keynote speaker will be Tracy Bentley, the CEO of the Permian Strategic Partnership. We will have a panel with Bo McCall, who is the CEO of Moda Midstream, Brian Freed, CEO of Epic Pipeline, and Nueces County Judge Barbara Canales. The moderator will be Sean Strawbridge, the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi. You definitely want to get your tickets now. This event sells out for the last six years. If you want information, please go to shellmag.com and click on the banner ad. It'll take you straight to the link to purchase the tickets or sponsor the event, and we will see you there. And now it's time for me to welcome on my co-host, editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas. It sure is. It's another beautiful day because we woke up. Yeah, exactly. At my age, that's important. (laughs) Let's start with our favorite topic, oil prices. I love the fact that you are not afraid to talk about them and sometimes even take a guess on where we're going to be. And by the way, we've been doing this for our 300th show coming up soon, and you have been right almost all yeah, the time. I have been. You I have really... I, I got to take credit. For yeah. That. You need to go get some lottery <laughs> tickets for us. <laughs> well, let's talk about the volatility this week uh, on the prices. What are the major facts that are actually impacting this volatile cycle going on? Right. Yeah. There, there's two big ones. Uh, one is uh, inventories in the United States uh, for oil storage have continued to decline. We had another big drawdown on uh, inventories this past week. And then the and of course that puts upward pressure on the price. And then we've we've had this impasse within the OPEC Plus group mm-hmm. uh, between Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates that uh, you know broke up their meeting on 
July 5th without any resolution. It now looks as if they may be getting to a, a reconciliation there in the OPEC plus group and uh, may have that problem resolved here uh, before the end of this month, which would be you know, a positive thing for the markets and I think will really dampen down the level of volatility. Right. Um, right now, you know, because what's happened is because they didn't reach an agreement on July 5th, there's nothing starting August 1st. There's no plan for further adding further volumes onto the global market as demand continues to, to come back globally. I mean, it's just rising very rapidly. We're going to be at pre-2020 levels uh, by the end of this year, uh, probably earlier than that, probably by October. And um, so, so when, that's put upward pressure on the price yeah. as well. When, so when these things happen, it kind of scares the market to start reacting. And right. you're, the drawdown you're talking about is just the global use. Let's come back and talk a little about OPEC Plus um, because we are scheduled to talk to the ambassador for the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia soon and specifically on this topic. I'm sure by then he'll be able to tell us more, but the impasse that's going on between Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, do you think that they're going to come up with an agreement before August? I think they probably will. I think it's just, it's too much in their own interest not to do that. Uh, The United Arab Emirates has been dissatisfied with its quota under the OPEC plus deal for really a year and a half now. They feel like they've been unfairly treated and they brought it up repeatedly at at the group's meetings. Uh, And they just finally decided to take a stand in July, in early July. Saudi Arabia, and, and, and the reason they did it then was because Saudi Arabia wants the group to extend its agreement through the end of 2022. Right now it's scheduled to expire at the end of next April, April 30th of 2022, they want to extend it for another eight months just to ensure that there's stability, able, mm-hmm. right, to manage the market. And and like it or not, OPEC Plus has been managing the market uh, globally for mm-hmm. the last three years and has been very successful at doing so. So UAE took this Saudi Arabian proposal to extend the agreement as its as its entry into getting its way, getting its own quota raised. And I think what we're hearing now is, is there uh, Saudi Arabia is about to agree to do that and probably reduce its own production to mm-hmm. facilitate that. And, and that'll mean probably before the end of the month, they'll reconvene, agree to that deal, agree to put some more volume onto the market beginning in August. You know, and the volatility will go way down, down once yeah. that happens. And weren't we just this, like it seems like last year sometime we were having the same discussion, but it was Russia that was, right, it was Russia and Saudi <laughs> this Arabia. time. Saudi Arabia has, seems like it has its hands full. Let's, yeah, they're the big player, and so everyone you know plays off of what they're doing. That's right. Everybody's got to look out for their own interests. Let's switch stories and talk about California is now uh, exporting its power blackouts to neighboring western states. And that's due to a decision by the federal government to prioritize providing electricity to California on the Western Interconnect power grid. Tell me how that works. Like, why is this happening? It seems confusing. Texas has its own power grid that's not interconnected with other states. Mm -hmm. We're really kind of the only state in the lower 48 that has that. California is part of the Western Interconnect grid which uh, it also includes states like uh, Oregon and Nevada, I think Washington as well, and Arizona, and maybe even Utah. 
And, and so what, what, what's happened here recently because of the wildfires and the heat wave that's been happening in, in California, the FERC, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, decided to prioritize California's needs for electricity generated on this grid over the other states on it. And, and the result of that, uh, really recently, over the past couple of weeks, has been that we've had blackouts now in Arizona because they're not getting the power they need in areas like Phoenix and Tucson. And so California, because it has so severely mismanaged its own power generating capacity in its state, is now exporting blackouts to other states. That's how bad the problem has become in California and how irresponsible that state's government is. Yeah. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's a really bad deal. And I honestly, uh, in this administration, you know, that is so beholden to California, uh, I don't know how, how these other states are going to cope with that. I can't even imagine Las Vegas. Can you imagine it being yeah, out of I, power at the casinos? Right. And if, wow. right. I mean, and, you know, think of all the power they need in Vegas mm-hmm. and, and even in Reno, which are the only two sizable cities in Nevada. Uh, but, you know, luckily it hasn't happened to them yet, but uh, it's happening to Arizona. So there's nothing to, to say it won't be happening in Nevada soon. Where do you see the solution with this? Well, I, the solution, I think, is obvious. Uh, California needs to allow the building of more base load power in its state. It relies way too heavily on uh, renewables that don't have battery backup technology that exists today that, that can really make them a reliable source of energy. And we're moving in the same direction in Texas, frankly, unfortunately. Um, and, and, and they have to build more natural gas generation capacity in California in order to stabilize their grid. And the Democrats who are in power out there, Governor, Governor, what's his name, don't want to do it. Newsom, Gavin Newsom, mm-hmm. don't want to allow that. And so you're, you're stuck with this grid that's just going to produce more and more blackouts over time. That's crazy. That, that, it um, is crazy. I mean, it's, it's, it always just seems insane. like we're covering something going on in California. And they're fleeing that state because of their taxes. And their, yes. It's nuts, yeah. the state. It and yet, the, how did these people still are electing the same people? So what do we say in Texas? Please, you're welcome to come to Texas, but let's not vote the same way. <laughs> let's look <laughs> right. at something different. Of course, uh, you know, we criticize California for, for, for those issues. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure Austin is really too far away from what San Francisco's been doing as far as the homeless and, yeah. you know, uh, having to track the poop on the streets. And uh, same thing's happening in Austin now, and, and, and that's an incredible High crime with high crime, huge property crime, taxes, yeah. and, I mean, it's a, that's a mess too, yeah. It is a mess, it's, it's, and it's becoming a bigger and bigger mess uh, very quickly. Well, I think it's on the elected officials' radar because that was one of the things that uh, Governor Abbott was discussing is that mm-hmm. we need uh, these Democrats to get back and let's get some – we need a quorum. We need to figure out some <laughs> things. And one of them was that specific. Where do we – you know, how do we figure out Austin and its crime rate and all the other stuff that's yeah. plaguing Austin? Uh, very, very interesting time we're living for sure. But, David, that's all uh, the time we have for this segment. When we come back, we will be joined by Amy Cronus and Kate Harden with Deloitte. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company. Established in 2012 by co-founders Stephen Snyder and Ryan Berthold, SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals 
Corps dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident Safety Record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361-776-2662 or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210-240-7188. Again, 210-240-7188. David, now it is time for us to welcome on our guest. We have Amy Cronus, who has been on our show before. Amy is the National Sector Leader for Deloitte U.S. Oil, Gas, and Chemicals Practice and Deloitte's Houston Marketplace Leader. And we're also going to be joined by Kate Harden, the Executive Director for Deloitte's Research Center for Energy and Industrial. Ladies, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. And Amy, welcome back. Thank you, Kim. Well, you know, we're so excited because when I think about who are really, truly great auditing companies, companies that really get the lay of the land in oil and gas, consistently always changing the landscape, having dedicated resources and really, truly dedicated talent to help, you know, people navigate oil and gas companies specifically and service companies through this ever-changing market the diversity that Deloitte holds is just, it, it's amazing, you guys. That's why we enjoy having you guys come on the show to help us understand what's happening in the oil and gas sector. Now, Amy, you've been with Deloitte for quite some time. You've been on the show in the past. I want to give you just a moment to tell us just briefly a little bit about, you know, your current role. You have a lot of, you have two different titles. What basically are you covering with Deloitte? Thanks, Kim, and thrilled to be here. You know, I have the great privilege of being both in, uh, based in what I believe to be the world's energy capital, Houston, and to be overseeing our oil, gas, and chemical industry practice. And it's, it could not be at a more exciting time uh, where we've got so many companies on this energy transition journey and huge challenges and opportunities ahead of us. So exactly. I'm thrilled to be part of our practice and helping our people help our clients. Well, and that's, you know, part of why bringing you guys on was so important because there is so much uncertainty. But then, like you said, also, there's so much great opportunity. And Kate, I'd like to give you a moment, too, as the executive director for the Deloitte Research Center for Energy and Industrials. Tell us briefly what that is. Thanks, Kim. Essentially, what we do is uh, my team does a lot of research really at the intersection of oil and gas, power and renewables, and industrial manufacturing to understand the nature of the transition and the industry change in which we find ourselves. So a lot of our work is really understanding some of the overlap, if you will. So thinking about how oil and gas companies are adjusting to the reality of a low carbon future. And that's part of our conversation today. 
but also looking at how sustainability and uh, and concerns around increasingly a, a low carbon delivery system and more focus on sustainability from customers and stakeholders and, and financing sources is really crafting a new environment in which many of these companies are operating. It's definitely an exciting time. However, it's also a very challenging time. And we ourselves find ourselves in that same area of which way are we going because there's so much to cover and we're trying to also change those gears too. But Amy, Deloitte just published a paper on transforming portfolios in oil and gas specifically. So let's get started. Will you share with us a little bit more about that study and provide an overview for for us? Absolutely. And I'm going to bring in Kate to speak about some of the statistical specifics as well. So as you know, the oil and gas industry finds itself at a pivotal moment. Uh, the focus on climate change and the need to reduce carbon emissions means the industry will once again have to rely on its frontier mindset. And uh, in my you know 35 plus year career, I've had the privilege of seeing many roller coaster frontier moments of the industry. And so I, I'm I'm very optimistic that we'll once again embrace th- this new frontier. And our study uncovered you know I'd say two big things. One that oil and gas companies face a conundrum, you know, stay and capture the remaining value in hydrocarbons or embrace a new energy business model. And secondly, our analysis showed that the oil and gas industry has a real opportunity to redeploy $838 billion towards more economical hydrocarbon projects and or promising green ventures over the next 10 years. And we'll speak more about how we got that, you know, frankly, we think a conservative number. Our, our starting point was looking into the most recent history of our industry, that the past year and a half saw a reversal of fortunes for players in crude oil and natural gas. We went from peak to sub-zero oil prices. We went from inelastic to highly elastic demand. We went from shale boom to shale pain. So, you know, as I've already said, oil and gas companies are no stranger to change. But according to our research, we're not going to see the high growth phase of the market bouncing back, although demand for oil will likely not evaporate anytime soon and, and prices will rise. So, I, you know, I don't want to steal Kate talking about the five great myths of the paper, so I'll turn it over to her to discuss those. Thanks so much, Amy. And as you mentioned, we did examine some of what we considered kind of the myths of portfolio strategy over time. And I can just very quickly name some of those. And, and we really use these to help companies understand more about strategy going forward in the new environment that we've just uh, kind of described here. So the first is, of course, agility and flexibility remain important but they don't always guarantee top performance. So of the analysis that we conducted, in which we took 286 global oil and gas companies and looked over the past 10 years at their results from their portfolio strategies, we really put these five challenges to the test. So that was point one. And Kate, can I interrupt you right there? If, If so, these integrated, just out of curiosity, is it because you think that a lot of it was they were too diverse in that field and they couldn't really focus on one specific? And, and I don't want to get us off track, but I, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to come back into the point to answer that question and then three, four, and five. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., 
Tennessee and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. For the past 50 years, the people at Bulwark FR have served as the relentless protectors of workers in the oil and gas industry, but never as relentless as right now. That's because for the first time in decades, free to double down on flame resistant apparel that's designed to understand your workday and your world. See how they're finally at full power for you at BulwarkIndependence.com. That's Bulwark spelled B-U-L-W-A-R-K Independence.com. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210 210- 2407188 again 2104070188 And we're back you're listening to in the Old Patch Radio show our guest today is Amy Cronus and Kate Harden with Deloitte. And Kate, before the break, you were discussing the five main points that you guys feel came out of this study that Deloitte did on specifically um, the transforming portfolios in oil and gas. And I asked you that, do you feel that some of the oil and gas companies that, that, you know, went into this integration model, did they do the right thing? I mean, what advice can you give them? And then we're going to resume back on the, the other point three. Yeah, thanks, Kim. And I would I would just say, let me um, add to that point that as we've looked at the results of some of the companies which had very narrowly focused but were really characterized by lean and efficient production, we saw that they delivered good performance, right? So I think as a corollary to the bigger and better isn't, isn't always uh, delivering top performance, what we do see is that being lean and efficient as many of these companies have become over the past few years, given the volatility in the market, that that can be, a, you know, a really strong point. So I think that would be the important corollary there of that number two. Um, the other, which I think point we point to here also, is that oil still has value. And kind of related to that is number four, which is that not every green shift is going to be immediately profitable and scalable, right? So while certainly we're moving towards the low carbon world, we're seeing a lot more interest from oil and gas companies in investing in low carbon technologies, new technologies, uh, looking into wind and solar, right? This is not a new story. We've seen much investment in these areas over the past 10 years, actually, from the oil and gas companies. We're still seeing, though, that in making those decisions, companies are looking at some key questions such as what is the complementarity of that new investment with the core business, right? What is the strength that the company brings vis-a-vis competitors in that new business? So these are still the the questions that need to be asked. And then finally, let me just finish up on shale, which is always an area of interest, which is to say that we're finding that shale is still a valuable part of the portfolio, even after the rough year we saw in 2020. 
there is still, as we see prices beginning to rise again, you know, value that we're seeing in the portfolio uh, for shale. Well, you know, it's good to see those five points that at the end you're ending with that there is still the need for shale. And I think that in this report, while diversity, we see it coming and having to look at how do, you know, companies diversify you know, their portfolio and, and, and include other things besides oil and gas, if they're going to survive, that oil and gas isn't going away anytime soon. And that's kind of important. So, Kate, um, just to clarify on, on the uh, bigger is better point, because I, I know that there are a lot of people thinking about that. We've seen all this consolidation in the shale sector specifically here this year and last year as well. So I think if I hear you right, what you're saying is, that, you know, bigger is not necessarily better, but it can be in some isolated instances, correct? Well, and I think, you know, you bring up the consolidation that we've seen, and I think that's a real trend. Although, if you notice, there have been clear strategic reasons to do some of these uh, consolidations, right? In some cases, the assets that were acquired were actually leading to a slightly, you know, more efficient, lower carbon um, asset base. And so that, that would be something else to point to here. So I think, it's hard to make a one-size-fits-all statement here, but but I would say that for each of those acquisitions that you saw, there were some clear strategic reasons. Yeah, and, and you know, there's a lot of contiguousness between the assets of, of a lot of these companies as well. So you gain these economies of scale within your organization sometimes uh, as well, right? Amy and Kate, we're going to take a quick break, but when we return from break, I want to get back on the oil and gas sector and specifically the research reflecting the newly published paper on transforming portfolios in the oil and gas sector. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. If you'd like more information, go to womensenergynetwork.org slash South Texas or call 855-390-0650. Hey, you. Do you want to join the fastest-growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business, so you've got my attention. What is it? TEAK is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free, no charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to ShaleMag.com dot com slash teak and click on the join link enter your information and we'll get you set up join the texas energy advocates coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today and we're back you're listening to in the oil patch radio show our guest today is amy cronus and Kate Harden with Deloitte. Yeah, Kate, so on this paper about transforming portfolios, so much has changed in the oil and gas sector really just in the last 
15 to 20 months. And I, I wanted to give you talk about, you know, how those changes, some of the big ones that influenced your research for this paper. Well, thank you for bringing that up. And I, I think one of the key points of the paper is that we actually did the analysis that Amy referred to earlier to say, if we really look at, you know, taking again, you know, nearly 300 companies globally in the oil and gas sector, and look out 10 years, right? So look at planned capital expenditure over the next 10 years globally. What do we see in terms of where companies are making that 20% cash return? And what would be the opportunity for them to redeploy some of that CapEx somewhere else? And, and I think that's a key point of the paper as well. And really what we found there is that that number is as much as $800 billion of CapEx that could be redeployed. And when we say redeployed, let me be clear, we mean either into the core business, into projects, as we talked about before, that you know may have leaner, more efficient, you know, higher return, right? Or into new areas. And this is where we come back to the discussion of how the energy sector is changing and how oil and gas needs to become a participant in a much different energy system than what we've seen heretofore. And so just as a way of providing some context, as I mentioned, we have seen oil and gas companies investing outside of their core business into these new technologies. And we expect that trend to continue. And what we've seen in this paper is that there is this redeployment opportunity. Amy, what does this mean for like the financial outlook of portfolio transformation? And what does the portfolio frontier grid of choice and trade-offs for oil and gas companies look like in terms of scalability and the growth? The outlook is for more change. So as we continue to see new scalable and high growth choices you know, becoming available in the green energy space, we see that the biggest portfolio conundrum for oil and gas companies is now between two green energy choices with notable differences in the strategies of European and U.S. companies. So for instance, we see European majors aggressively buying in the new energy space through acquisitions of renewable electricity. And you've seen a lot of media attention around U.S. majors prioritizing low carbon choices with an aim to reduce CHG emissions and natural gas flaring from the core hydrocarbon operations and, you know, receiving a lot of media scrutiny and activist shareholder pressure to also expand into, you know, like their European counterparts into solar and wind. During our research, we found that the world is expected to need oil and gas for years. However, there are many new scalable and high growth choices available in the green energy space. So we see that pioneers in new energy are expected to be increasingly building new capabilities and moving away from a commodity mindset. So the American model is very different than the European model in how they're looking at how do they get greener, if you will. Right. With, with I'd say, increasing pressure and movement from the U.S. counterparts to, to be very active in the alternative energy space, too. So, Kate, I mean, it sounds like in listening to this that the, the biggest question each company faces is whether it should stay in oil and gas and try to maximize their business there and their core business or move to green energy and and, and, and invest in these kinds of greener technologies and carbon capture and storage, those kinds of things. Can you give us some insight on how those decision points are reached within each company? Well, David, I'm glad that you mentioned that. And I think what we're seeing is um, a bit of a mix, actually, where there are a number of companies who are investing at both ends of that spectrum, right? So we see some of the oil and gas companies in the U.S. continuing to focus on their core assets, which are providing a good return that, you know, have the 
proven over time. And then we also see the same companies often through a venture capital structure or partnerships or even through acquisitions getting into new areas of the energy sector. So uh, certainly we've seen investments in solar even over the past decade, and we've seen increasing attention to wind and offshore wind from some companies. So it's uh, it's not always an either or, right? There can be, a, again, kind of a redeployment of capital towards these newer technologies, towards these new markets and new business models. Now, Amy, and this might be a little bit of what Kate just covered, but how big do you think the opportunity to right-size the hydrocarbon business or redeploy capital towards new energy? As I mentioned earlier, we're seeing if the global oil and gas industry can redeploy as much as $838 billion, or about 20% of cumulative capital expenditures over the next 20 years, next 10 years, sorry, wow. which accounts about, equates to about 6% of production. You know, that CapEx could be used to further optimize the core hydrocarbon business, and it could also be used to pursue new growth areas, including new energy ventures, which we're seeing a lot of startups on the horizon. I would say um, super majors on average have the highest potential to redeploy their future capital expenditures. Uh, we, came, we came up with approximately 36% towards more economical hydrocarbon projects uh, or promising green ventures, which is an amount sizable enough to continue to position them well in the changing energy landscape. So uh, for comparison, I'll keep, I'll keep giving you some more data. Let's consider that over the past five years, oil and gas companies invested $60 billion in green projects and clean energy. Not well known. So the potential for more spending is certainly there. $60 billion. That seems like a huge amount of money that <laughs> yeah. no one really knows. It's a big chunk of money. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so, yeah, the landscape has not been sitting still. It just seems like it. Yeah, and these numbers are not really being pushed out there. A lot of the media hype is, but the actual number, $60 billion, is a lot of money for an investment in, in this, you know, green venture, green way that we are moving. When we get back from break, we do want to talk more about green choices in the climate. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Kim Bilotto, wanting to talk to you about how to age gracefully. As a woman, my appearance is important to me. It makes me feel good about myself when I feel I'm taking care of myself. And I have been visiting a woman for many years who has helped me with my wrinkles, my skin's elasticity. And you know, a lot of people think it's really just involving women, but it's not. Many, many men also seek treatments as they see the aging process occurring. I visit Cynthia, my friend of many years, who is a master injector for San Antonio Cosmetics surgery. I feel very comfortable going to her and allowing her to just do her work on me. Pick up the phone, call Cynthia, make an appointment and see what she can do for you because it has taken years off of me. So if you want a free consultation with Cynthia, give them a call at 210-641-4320. Again, the number is 210-614-4320. Or you can visit their website at sanantoniocosmeticsurgery.net. Be sure to tell them that Kim within the Oil Patch Radio Show sent you. SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company established in 2012 by co-founder Stephen Snyder and Ryan Berthold 
SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals who are dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident's safety record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361-776-2662 or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today. Hi folks, Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200-kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. Remember this name, oil field experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oil field experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Amy Cronus, the National Sector Leader for Deloitte's U.S. Oil, Gas, and Chemical Practice and Deloitte's Houston Marketplace Leader, and Kate Harden, who is the Executive Director for Deloitte Research Center for Energy and Industrials. Hey, Kate, as companies start looking at all these myriad choices they have to make, how they go about prioritizing you know, the the potential choices they have for all these capital dollars for their own portfolios? Well, David, as we did our analysis on some of the what we call sentiment analysis and, and looking at um, the interest as in social media, media, reporting documents and others, we did see that solar and wind, of course, are right up there in terms of grabbing the highest media share and often the most talked about. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. As we mentioned, Solar has been an area of investment for over a decade for some of these companies. We're now also seeing with regard to wind and particularly offshore wind that some of the technologies and and experience of the offshore oil and gas companies and even the service companies can be leverageable in in offshore wind. So there's a a bit of a marriage, if you will, of of these technologies bringing offshore wind uh, perhaps into commercialization you know, in, in the way that combines these technologies and the experience of these uh, of these different sectors. So that is one area that definitely is, is getting a lot of attention now. I think in addition, we've looked at some of the newer technologies, right? There are areas like carbon capture and utilization, carbon capture storage, also looking at hydrogen as areas where the oil and gas companies do have experience and technology and um, could be leveraging that as we think about the possibilities for some of these newer technologies also. 
Kate and Amy, it seems like a very exciting time because there's so much change happening. And, and really, I think it gives promise to people who are really very concerned about climate and green choices that they're finally seeing oil and gas companies looking at these more seriously and they're actually seeing change. For an energy company, an oil and gas company might be a smaller company, might be a company that is focused their whole life in oil and gas. This is a pretty scary proposition moving forward. So Amy, it sounds like these companies need to get their transformation right. And we're we're not talking about investing, you know, a hundred bucks here. We're talking about a lot. My guess would be that they'd have that you guys can provide very specific guidance into what these companies can do to start their, you know, portfolio transformation, if you will. What are your thoughts on this? Because I think this keeps a lot of people up at night. Thanks, Kim. I, you are right. Getting getting that transformation requires companies to refresh their value drivers, competencies, and business models. So, you know, traditionally, the oil and gas industry has relied on corporate financing or refinancing and, and restructuring to navigate changes. But these measures we're finding really have limited scope in the changing energy landscape. You know, new robust portfolios are going to require new value drivers, playing to strengths, building new competencies, and embracing new business models. You know, for example, companies could base their final investment decision on different value metrics, such as emissions abatement and a broader energy purpose. And that also requires a broader focus from ecosystem players on these new value metrics, as opposed to just returns and resource size, uh, which as you know, has been the the largest emphasis in the past. Um, They could also develop a dynamic portfolio optimization capability to compete with a growing number of mobile and modular business models in the new energy space you know, we would expect to see more collaboration to execute a shared vision and build a healthy ecosystem is against partnering just for sharing risk or capital. So some some different drivers than the strict financial measurements that we've seen in the past. So, you know, we actually, we think companies are going to naturally face the early onset of uncertainty and when they look at a forward-looking portfolio strategy. And we, we think that's to be expected as long as it's not followed by a confused strategy. Um, one, one, of the, one of the things we keep saying, and I, I think David has, has heard us uh, say this, that uncertainty in decision-making is acceptable, but a confused strategy isn't. Right. So, they're, yeah, they're going to they're gonna have to select on that spectrum. And, you know, we get, you know, one of the questions we get asked from this paper is that, well, you know, the large multinationals are preparing for a low carbon, even net carbon future by investing in renewables. It's very public. But what about smaller companies? And I know that a lot of your listeners um, are smaller oil and gas companies, and and they have many foundational sustainability challenges that they have to overcome, such as methane leaks, routine gas flaring, spills, water recycling, waste and land management, et cetera. So they're going to have to decarbonize their operations, processes, and supply chain by electrifying operations, making operations energy efficient, and incorporating emission reduction technologies. With, without which they're going to, you know, you know, perhaps be at risk of losing their quote-unquote license to operate. So yeah. we, we're seeing many of those companies already beginning to track their emissions and reporting on their plans to improve sustainability. And even basic methane abatement measures such as leak detection and repair and device replacement can bring net savings um, that are quite important. So you know, to answer your question, their, their portfolios really are going to have to evolve and change. I would think it is a very interesting but scary time for many of the smaller, even you talked about the you know, oil and gas companies, but the service companies that are servicing them that are smaller than the big three. And, you know, they too are also 
you know, being forced to provide either safety or how are they doing in lowering the admissions to be a vendor with these large companies. And they typically are the ones who have that sometimes uh, they don't really know which way they're going. So they could have that message that they're not really sure which way they're going. And they know if they go the wrong route, they're, they're, they really could be in a bad situation. It's a very uh, interesting but kind of scary time, I would think, for the smaller companies that are having to service these larger companies. You know, Kim, you've raised a great point that that I think what you're getting at here is that as we see the energy transition play out, we're not just talking about the upstream being affected by changing levels of oil demand. We're also talking about how those effects filter down into the midstream and into the downstream. And so companies at all levels in the oil and gas industry are really you know, thinking hard about the future and their portfolio choices. Well, I will say this in closing. It's a very interesting time, but this paper should give a lot of helpful hints as to where to navigate to. And of course, there's always Deloitte that they can turn to. Well, Amy and Kate, on behalf of David and myself, thank you so much for coming back on the show, talking to us a little bit about your latest report that's out there. And we look forward to having you back on real soon to talk about more reports that you guys are releasing. Great. Thank, thank you, so you Jim. Thank you, David. We appreciate thank you. It. Yep. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.